Hey folks, before we get into this week's episode, just wanted to talk a little bit about Ezra Miller. Now, Ezra Miller is an actor who is non-binary and goes by the pronoun they and them. However, in the Flash movie, Ezra Miller plays uh, Barry Allen and Barry Allen goes by the pronoun of he. Now, unfortunately, in this podcast, we do misgender Ezra Miller, uh, referring to them as he and him um, and in the male pronouns. And so just wanted to preface this by, you know, putting this little disclaimer to apologize for the misgendering of Ezra Miller throughout this show, but hopefully it doesn't take away from your enjoyment of the episode. So thanks for listening and uh, enjoy the show. This is Paul. This is Wayne. And Wayne is fresh back from Fear of the Con. How'd it go, Wayne? It went really well. Uh, I am exhausted because I had a work conference followed by the Superman celebration followed by Fear of the Con. That is a lot of peopling. That's a, that, that is, is a, a lot, lot of, peopling. of peopling. It's a tremendous amount of peopling. I was at a conference myself last week, and there's like you know 300 people in this room. And I'm like, this is too many people. This is far too many people. I'm going to need about uh, 290 of you to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we had a really good turnout this year. The vendor hall was great. Uh, my games were all really well. Uh, from a comic or at least superhero standpoint, I ran a zombie savage worlds character funnel so it's like the uh you know kind of like the dungeon crawl classic ones except for savage worlds i made them all extras instead of wild cards they didn't get wild die they didn't get more than one wound and i was killing as many of them as possible i said it at a sales conference that was upstairs of a comic book convention so we had zombies that were in cosplay, as well as when I killed their characters, they got cosplay characters next. But my ending, the ending scene that I love so much was a diesel truck that they stole driving out of the convention center, running over zombies with celebrity guest Lou Ferrigno running and jumping on the back of the truck holding on. Because if I was going to do a celebrity guest instead of a cosplayer, I figured Lou Ferrigno goes to every convention that'll pay him. That's so Lou survived another day in your game. <laughs> That's all I really care about. Yes, he did. Okay. Love Good. Good job. You know, I, I'm going to a convention later this summer, uh, GalaxyCon out in Austin. Already bought my VIP tickets. Um I have got my eye on the guest list because I swear to God, if Lou is there, I'm taking two Christmas sweaters, one for me, one for him. He and I are going to get our pictures taken in Christmas sweaters, and that will be my Christmas card this year. (laughs) (laughs) Just, you know, without explanation, sending out Christmas cards, Merry Christmas from Aaron and Lou. (laughs) The last celebrity I got my picture with was at the Superman celebration. I got my picture with... uh, Tyler Hoechlin. I saw the, that. It was good yep, picture. The current Superman from Superman and Lois. And for so, another year, they announced. Yep. Since the last so time we've I have, uh, I have now met every current living Superman except for Henry Cavill. Well, he's not a current Superman anyway. <laughs> current, every current living. The living, the current part goes with living. Gotcha. gotcha. Because I have, I've met Dean Kane, Brandon Routh, Tom Welling, and Tyler Hoechlin now all at the Superman celebration. That's awesome. That's a great. That that, that is a great convention for uh, so, for Superman fans. So Wayne, uh, Mark Wade will be at uh, GalaxyCon in Austin. Just FYI. I, thought, I, I am super jealous. I have yeah. not met him. Yeah. So I, I, I plan on chatting with Mark Wade. 
But uh, well, I'm glad to hear Fear the Con went well. Now you guys do this at the Drury Inn now. Y'all don't y'all aren't renting a space apart from the hotel. Is that correct? Correct. We found that uh, basically it's so much easier after oh, wing sure. night when everyone's drunk and after the first night when everyone's drunk to uh-huh. have them just go upstairs instead of driving somewhere. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Hey, Paul. Yes, sir. Did you have a good time? At the Flash, yes, I did. You know, I so the Flash came out this week, the the long anticipated um, or long in development, I should say, uh, Flash movie. Um, you know, starring Ezra Miller and Ben Affleck and Michael Keaton and Sasha Kaye. I'm guessing something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, so the Flash finally came out, and I went and saw it on Friday. I've, you know, obviously, I think most people, for I think people for the most part, have been really looking forward to the return of Michael Keaton as Batman, mm-hmm. as have I. Um, so I was, I was, you know, obviously, despite the issues, despite the fact, you know, that of Ezra Miller's issues, despite the fact um, that this was. You know, definitely, we knew that a reboot was coming and that this was kind of the nail, the final nail in the coffin of the Snyderverse. I, I've still been looking forward to this film. Mm-hmm. Still been looking forward to the return of Michael Keaton. Um, and, you know, the, the final little bits of Ben Affleck that we would get as as Batman. And I got to say, you know, the, the early reviews have been overwhelmingly positive for this film. And while I will say... I don't necessarily agree with the level of love that the early reviews put on this film. I really did enjoy it. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I would put it on par with like a with Black Adam, honestly, as far as enjoyment factor. Um, you know, it's it's not. It, it didn't quite strike the uh, the Spider Man No Way Home level of of enjoyment for me, but I, I really did like it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Just because I, I said Michael Keaton returning, who's heavily in it. I love the Supergirl costume. I love just the way it looks. And I know I've heard of all of the CGI cameos that they added in that I think are could be fun, but it unfortunately is bombing. Yeah, you know, but I think every film this weekend that came out this weekend because the new Pixar bombed too, so it feels like it was a bad. Weekend. weekend yeah yeah in general I, you know i went into the movie uh while i very much enjoyed the trailers that we saw and you know all the all the you know little hints of what what was going to be in the movie i went in with some baggage uh and that baggage is named ezra miller uh because he's kind of a garbage human but uh i gotta tell you despite my ezra miller issues i really enjoyed this movie and I got to say, Ezra I, Miller did a great job as God, the Flash. That's the was, sad thing. Yeah, the sad thing is, is he was fantastic and plays two different roles in the movie, you know, and he does that challenging thing of playing two different versions of himself, acting across himself and being convincing in both roles. I mean, I was like, you know, this guy's a really good actor. And they, uh, that was one thing, you know, because a lot of people are giving heat to the special effects in this film. And the director's like... The, the special effects are intentionally obvious when the Flash is in the Speed Force because you're right. viewing it through Barry's eyes. And people are like, bullshit, they're just shitty special effects. This is special effects on the realm of The Mummy Returns. You know, they're like PS2 cutscenes. And I'm like, I hear you, but I will tell you, when there were two Barry Allens on screen for 90% of the film, uh-huh. those special effects were fantastic yes at no point did i think it was a special effect because that's how convinced i was that it was two separate people that i was watching yeah so i i don't feel like they decided to only do good special effects for those scenes i feel like maybe there was some intent behind you know everything else being just a little bit cartoony i very much appreciated uh, the nuance that he applied to his character and the whole time. And this is the sad thing is the entire time I'm watching the movie, I never got lost in his performance because I kept thinking, God, it's really too bad. This guy's such a, such a, a, a disaster of a person, you know? And I, and I hope yeah, he gets his crap together because he's, he's super talented. 
I, I just I cannot get over how strong his performance was. And I think for almost anybody else, if it wasn't this guy, I think, number one, people would be, you know, just glorifying the performance. And I think he'd be a, a shoe in for an Academy Award nomination because he does so much heavy lifting in this movie. You know, so, I mean, question for both of you about him, then. How does it compare to his performance as Flash that we already saw in Justice League? Better. Yeah, but much better. And I mean, it's there. He's got so much more time. It's not just quirky guy. And well, so they delve into that, right? They delve right. into the maturity over time because, you know, the Justice League has been a few years ago at this point. So they do kind of touch on how Barry Allen has matured in the years since Justice League. Um, and I, I think that the the performance was much better. And don't get me wrong. I yeah. like the performance in Justice yeah. League. Yeah, My biggest problem with him in Justice League is I could not take that character seriously as a uh, basically as a lab technician for the police. I just he was not coming off as a character that would be able to hold down a professional job. I, I will say it's much more convincing in this film. Yeah, I would uh -huh. agree. And I I enjoyed, I you know, it seems like we've gotten this Flashpoint story any number of different ways, yeah. right? Uh, and I I think this might be my favorite interpretation beyond the comic. Yeah. Um, I, his, I was initially a little put off by uh, his family, um, largely because I just really wasn't prepared for his mother to have, you know, s such a strong accent, you know, to have not been the white bread cookie cutter mom that we've gotten elsewhere. So the fact that his mother was an immigrant was a little shocking, but I immediately fell into it. Yeah, you know? I liked that. I mean, I had no. I reason. did too. I thought I thought it was a nice nuance, and you know, I love the casting for both his mother and father. Yeah. And and I just really, I mean, I just really connected in that scene at the end of the movie in the grocery store between he and his mother just broke my heart. And the reason why it did is you you are so deeply invested in Barry by that point in the movie and mm -hmm. just how soul crushing it is for him to have to give all of this up. You yeah. know, I, it is such a great moment. And, you know, it's it's a moment that we're not unfamiliar with in that we have read the comics. We've seen the animated movie. We've seen, you know, all these different versions of this story. And I got to say, I think this was a lot stronger than um, the animated film. Oh, yeah, and, absolutely. And, and I got to say, the performance of Michael Keaton throughout this movie was a delight I was, uh, while I have enjoyed the costume for Supergirl, I wasn't sure how I was going to enjoy their performance. Thought she was fantastic. I was about to say, I fell in love with Supergirl. Oh, same. same. <laughs> I was like, and, I need more of this. Well, and I'm like, you know, the the terrible thing is, the tragedy in, about this movie is that we're not going to get to see any more of this. If, if, I know. Uh, if James Gunn has his way. And I'm like, you know, it's a multiverse. We could get this Supergirl back. You know, well, unfortunately, the fact that the film didn't break thing break the box office yeah. um, probably means that we won't. But I thought she was fantastic, and yeah, she was just—I mean, not to be like a creepy old guy, but I mean, she was just beautiful in the yeah, costume. I, she was she was um, luminous. I mean, yeah. I, she she was movie star luminous. I, I yeah. thought she, I, she had so much charisma. Embrace uh, your creepy, Paul. <laughs> she had so much style. I mean, there is, you know, when you first meet her, she is very much the Superman of the Flashpoint Superman. Yeah. You know, just hollowed out uh, and, and weak and, you know, just abused and not really the person that we know as Superman or in this case, Supergirl. And she was fantastic. She only had moments to play that. We didn't get mm -hmm. to see that for very long on screen, but she carries it off. And that question she asks, you know, about, you know, why did you do what you do? You don't know me. You know, why did you do this? Um, I just I, I, I thought she was deeply convincing. And mm -hmm. 
I just hate <laughs> I, I hate two things. I hate that she she dies in the movie and I hate that uh, uh, that we're never going to get to see her again. Yeah, because I, I feel like that's the case. We're never going to get to see her again. Yeah. And, you know, it, it's what's funny is. The so the, the, the film has had three endings for what it's worth. So the, the original ending featured, you know, even though Keaton's Batman and, you know, um, Supergirl die in this alternate universe that flashes in, they pop up at the end. No one really knows why. But, you know, they, they, they kind of explain loosely that the multiverse, you know. Decisions in the past can, you know, have these converging timelines. They, you know, like say, like a bowl of spaghetti. It's not like you go back in time and you just create an alternate timeline. You know, it creates like a spaghetti of timelines that, you know, interject and and intersect, and um, just by one change in the past. And so, you know, so in the original ending, Keaton and and Supergirl show up at the end. And then when they looked like they were bringing Henry Cavill back as Superman post Black Adam, they filmed an other, a different ending um, where it was Supergirl and, and Keaton's Batman, but also Henry Cavill and Gal Gadot showed up at the mm-hmm. courthouse at the end of the movie. And then when James Gunn took over, they scrapped both of those endings and had this little bit of jokey ending with with George Clooney um, popping up as Bruce Wayne, which don't get me wrong. Was a was was actually a hilarious scene. Yeah. Um. Especially when um when Barry Allen drops the f bomb. Right. Who the fuck is this? I I, <laughs> I thought that was awesome. Um. But I for for what it's worth, I feel like if you're gonna end the film on something that's never gonna pay off with like a jokey ending like that, right. They probably should have just reverted back to the first one. Right. Because if it's never gonna go, if it's never gonna pay off, just go back to showing Keaton and and Supergirl alive, um, you know. Because it, it it is to your point, nothing from this film other than the fact that the you know, other than the fact that like, because it's not really an ending, but it's it's you know, but it, it just kind of they they touch on that they're you know, they've got this multiverse and that's now where we'll we'll continue. And I think they wanted to leave it open in case. They wanted Ezra Miller or Jason Momoa because they do mention um, and this and spoilers obviously Aaron um, you know in the post credit sequence Ezra Miller and Jason Momoa you know Barry Allen and, and Aquaman are having a conversation and you know Flash is explaining he's like every universe I go to Batman's a different guy but you're the same person you know so they they, they kind of touch on mm, if they want to keep Momoa as Aquaman if they want to keep Ezra as Barry, they could do that, but that you know they could swap out Batman and Superman. But I really just don't. I, I think this is the last time we'll see, other than Aquaman too, um, we'll yeah. see any of these actors in these roles. And yeah. that's really sad. I because I think there's room for you know once you've established the multiverse, I think there's room for different versions of these films, you know, and it allows you to not have to reboot say for instance five years down the road you want to do another kind of kind of one of these movies i just i I hate that i i understand that james gunn's going all in on his thing but this i gotta tell you paul in a lot of respects i feel like this is the first time the snyder versus worked well in a film i mean as much as i you know retrospectively enjoy man of steel um i feel like this is the movie that that I had been looking for because it had so much heart and it had comedy. Um, and, and I was like, man, that this is finally working. Uh, you said that you liked it about as much as black Adam. I liked it more than black Adam. I think I liked it more than justice league to be perfectly honest. I mean, I enjoyed Um, it more than theatrical justice league. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, I, the glimpses of the multiverse, and I know that this is fan service. I know that this was aimed directly at me, but when George Reeves shows up on screen, I, you know, I was done. <laughs> yeah. Just, just I lay am, me out. I know? am a fan service me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And you know, I, I am, I'm a sucker for Christopher Reeves and then they throw in Helen Slater. Yeah. Fuck you. <laughs> it's just like, what are you doing to me? That Supergirl movie is one of my biggest guilty pleasures. Oh, yeah. I fully admit it has plot holes you could drive a Mack truck through. It is not a solid, cohesive story. I don't care. I just love watching it. No, absolutely. And, and, you know, you you had a little bit of Adam West in there. 
uh, I just, I, I very much enjoy it. And then, I mean, how niche can you go? How fan servicey can you go with all of a sudden, you know, you've got the, the silhouette of Superman fighting this giant alien spider. And I'm like, holy shit, they're doing it. And then turn to camera, Nicholas Cage, Superman. I'm just like, I, I they're just throwing, this is just whipped cream on top of all the delicious, delicious ice cream they just fed you. I, I I love this movie in a lot of ways. I don't think it's the best movie I've ever seen, but it is certainly the most entertaining movie I've seen in a very long time. And I think it, I, I, I understand that it's doing poorly at the box office. I think this movie in retrospect will be hailed as a really a giant success uh, in terms of uh, critical response. And I hope it winds up making some money because I just thought it was such a good film. I think yeah, once it hits I Max and Blu-ray, it'll it'll do better. I think Ezra Miller's hurting the film for what it's worth. Mm. Yep, I agree. I, and he I didn't even go to the premiere. People, I expect a lot of people are boycotting because of Miller. Yeah, there are a lot of Snyder fans that are boycotting because they want it to fail and they want James Gunn fired. And I think both of those are going to hurt it a bit. But I also think at this point, DC will f- distance themselves from Miller. If it had been successful, they might have continued supporting him. Yeah. But because of the box office, it's going to be what I've been predicting for a while. They're going to stand by him until the movie is out. And once the movie is out, that is the last we will ever see of him in the role. And they will distance themselves as far as possible because of the basically him off screen. Yeah, his his off screen antics are 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 killing his career and uh, killing his film. And let me tell you, you know, I feel like he's going to be in movie jail for the rest of his life, even if he he cleans up his act here. The fact that he was headlining such an expensive expensive tentpole film, I don't see anybody else giving him a chance. Yeah, no, I think he's done. Yeah, yeah. and that's a shame because, like I said, he was brilliant on screen. Agreed. Well, you know what's funny? Before we um, before we move on from the Flash and just kind of related to this topic slightly, um, you know, Netflix had a big event this week, and I don't know if you heard. It was a big event in Brazil, and they revealed like a whole bunch of stuff coming to Netflix over the next few months. So they revealed like there's a new Gal Gadot movie um, that's coming. They revealed. There's a third Extraction movie coming, which if you haven't seen Extraction 1 and 2 with Chris Hemsworth, I recommend them. I saw the first one. Is the second one already out? Yeah, second one came out Friday and oh, okay. is, is great. Um, it's great. You know, and it, and, you know, is it better addition, than the first one? I thought the first one was very dry. It's better than the first one. It's okay. it's I mean, it's just as storyless as the first one, but <laughs> the action's okay. pretty baller. Um, and, you know, it, it, there, there's additional connection there because they're directed by the guy who did the stunt choreography or the fighting choreography for uh, Captain America Civil War mm. and those types of things. So there's that so you get you get that type of awesome, you know, action sequence stuff. Um but anyway, where I was going with this is also that um they they revealed the first footage of Zack Snyder's Rebel Moon at uh, at this Netflix show and yeah, I mean it's it's super brief footage, some behind the scenes stuff, but I'm I'm looking forward to it. It comes out on December 22nd. So mm-hmm. Just in time for Christmas. Exactly. You know, completely unrelated to anything other than movies. Have you guys seen the trailer for uh, Asteroid City? Yes. I really want to see that. Yeah. I really want to see it. It looks so quirky and like, I don't know. It just looks like it's going to be fun. No, can't do it. So many guest stars. (laughs) I can't abide Wes Anderson. And his quirky, quirky, quirky movies. They're, that is just not my thing. I get why he's super popular. I mean, his films are, are are big hits, but it's just not my thing. I think it just appeals to me from a, I love that atomic 50s kind of mm-hmm. aesthetic. And dealing with atomic 50s and actual aliens sounds fun. My, my my greatest fear in life is that they're going to get Wes Anderson to do, like, a movie I want to see. Like, Wes Anderson directs Green Lantern. No, he directs something. Fast and the Furious 11. Oh, just kill me now. <laughs> just kill me now. <laughs> Wes Anderson directs Star Trek. 
<laughs> just kill me. <laughs> well, you know, um, comics, you know, we, we haven't podcasted in a few weeks. So some of the, you know, I think we're going to hop in and out of comics that actually came out this week or not. <laughs> um, but wanted to talk first about Green Lantern number two. Uh, so Aaron, you know, we, we talked about the first issue of Green Lantern. You know, this is bringing Hal back to the forefront. Um, it's written by Jeremy Adams, the guy who wrote Flashpoint Beyond um, with art by Hermonico, who also did the art for Flashpoint Beyond. And yeah, the first issue I was, I was, I was like, okay, I'm, in, I'm it's good. I'm interested. I'm curious where it goes, but you know, it didn't knock my socks off. I'm really, really, really enjoying this book. Um, yeah, I, 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 I like that they, they've kind of gone a little bit more back to basics with Hal Jordan. He's on Earth, um, you know, and, and at least in this book, he has siphoned the energy off of a manhunter because he doesn't have his his Green Lantern ring. Yeah, that was um, ring away when he quit the core. Yeah. But he yeah. has, but his sheer willpower has siphoned the energy out of a manhunter, and has created a, a ring for him. And I was like, "That's that's different. That's cool." Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and he, he's also got a job as a pilot working for Ferris Air again. And I kind of appreciated how he, he was. He started in the mailroom at Ferris Air, and within 24 hours, he had worked his way up to pilot just by uh, meeting with the right people. And, you know, they've got this love triangle thing because Carol Ferris has a new boyfriend. It just it, it's got this fun movie vibe, um, movie-esque vibe to it that I, I'm really appreciating. Um, now, one of the reasons I want to talk about it is we're at issue two. And it is already going to be derailed for that Night Terrors um, crossover event next month. And yeah, I really hate that because Green Lantern issue three doesn't come out until September, people. <laughs> so wow. that's a that's a long break. Yeah. After issue two, you basically have a three month break until issue three. And I, I just don't love that. Yeah. You know, I agree with a lot of what you said, Paul. However, however, <laughs> I don't like the way they're telling the story. I don't like that we're you know, we get his new origin, meaning how he gets the ring and is being told non non-linearly, right? You know, you're yeah. getting, you know, flashback and, and present. And, you know, I'm just, I feel like more and more that type of storytelling is a crutch because you don't have enough interesting in your current story. Uh, and I, I just, I, I, I feel like it's a lot of moving the cheese, right? Yeah. Uh, and I dislike that. I, I do like everything that you said about the book. I, you know, I like his, you know, he's trying to get the girl, you know, uh, you know, she's involved with another guy. She moved on with her life while he was out there in space for so long. Um, I'm enjoying all that. I actually enjoy the, you know, backstory that we're getting in terms of how he, you know, crushed the Manhunter power source, uh, you know, by sheer force of will and turned it into a ring. And now we're going to learn what that ring can do. You know, mm-hmm. we had we had some kind of um, a little bit of demonstration in this book. And what I particularly respond to is the fact that he's living in a trailer <laughs> right. over, overlooking the, the water. And, you know, uh, um, gosh, what's his name again? Um, Kilowog comes and visits. Uh, and to kind of take a break and say, I don't like the way they're coloring Kilowog these days. I like, like it Super better than Kill. Yeah, he's, I mean, he's like, you know, just kind of gross pink. He looked, you know, Pepto-Bismol yeah, pink. Pepto-Bismol pink, yeah. And, you know, whereas he used to always be kind of orangey. Um, I, 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 I don't care for the coloration of, uh, of, of Kilowog. I do like his representation here. Him sitting out in a lawn chair drinking a beer with Hal. Yeah. Is, uh, is a lot of fun. Yeah, he's I, like I, his roommate in the uh, in the trailer. Yeah, in that T90 little trailer. Uh, <laughs> I also like the backstory. I'm enjoying the John Stewart John Stewart backup feature in this book. Uh, you know, and just kind of John Stewart getting back to his roots. Yeah, I think uh, they're building up to a John Stewart um, book. I think right. I read that there's a John Stewart book coming out later this year. So yeah. I could, it, it looks like they're setting up for that. Yeah, but I dig that. I you know I, I like him talking to his mom. You know, working in the yard, uh, all of that is very entertaining. So I like the book. I'm just a little frustrated in the way it's telling the story. Yeah, and I don't. I, you know, I, to, 
I, I think my main issue is obviously that we're going to get a, a, a such a significant break. Sure. Um, and I don't, you know, Night Terrors, I'll check out the first issue, but I'm, I'm a little concerned that, I mean, if it's not good, I'm basically out on many DC books right. for a few months if they're all going to take a break during the summer for Night Terrors. Yeah. It is so frustrating when a good run or even just a new run gets derailed by an event. It, I, I hate that so much because it feels like a new writer never gets a chance to yep. get their momentum. Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Agreed. Well, Wayne, you read uh, Planet of the Apes number three. Do you want to talk to yep. us about that? Yeah. So I am still really enjoying the story, but I have to say I'm getting a little frustrated that at the pace of it, mm-hmm. it feels so decompressed. Like, it's taking us forever to get anywhere, and we're spending all of the time in this short time frame here while still doing the jumping between three different time frames. Yeah, I am enjoying it, but it is getting to the point that I think it's, I think it'll probably read better in trade than it is now. But I, I don't like how they're telling the story with the time jumps between the three eras. It feels really disjointed and it feels like more so that nothing is happening because they're not telling one story. They're telling three stories and we're getting a little piece of each of the three per episode or per issue where instead they could have had one whole issue that tells the first part of the story and then move to the next. Kind of seems like you guys have the same issue with two different books. Yeah. <laughs> right. The, the yeah. storytelling and the bouncing back and forth in timelines, which I'm not a fan of in general. I don't mind it as much in Green Lantern, um, but I, I remember I did not care for that in the mm-hmm. first issue of Planet of the Apes. Um, I have been purchasing the books, but I actually haven't read since the first issue. So I'll get caught up. Um, and if I feel the same way as you do, Wayne, I'm probably out on the book until trade. Because uh, to your point, if if I get three issues in and it feels like not much has happened, then I'm 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 probably good waiting. Yeah, and that's what it feels like to me. It's like the story has not progressed as much as it should have. The whole miniseries, I think, is going to be just basically the very beginning. We're not going to see any apes ruling the world in this. Uh, this planet of the apes is not going to be a planet of the apes yet. It's going to be before the planet of the apes. Yes. <laughs> Prior yeah. to the planet of the apes. <laughs> planet of the apes prequel. Yeah. Yeah. I'll get caught up at some point. I, I I'm, I'm behind on all my 20th century Fox books from Marvel. So I'm, I'm an issue behind on alien. I think I'm an issue behind on predator. Same. So, but I'm enjoying those books. So I'll, I'll get caught. Up. I'll get caught up before the next time we talk about them. Well, hey, Paul, are you enjoying Batman? I am caught up on Batman. Um, mm-hmm. So Batman issue 136 came out, uh, I don't know, a week or two ago. And so, th- you know, Batman is firmly back in his own universe um, with one hand. You know, he lost a hand during his adventures in the other universe. Mr. Terrific has fashioned for him a new hand, but Batman has not revealed that to his um, his family. Seems a strange secret to keep. It does. Um, and you know, we're, you know, we're going to talk about two books in my mind that have a lot of similarities. Um, just the tales are told a little bit different, um, which is Batman and then the Punisher. Um, because in both books, it's really about like how the lead characters are just, this book is certainly leaning into how Bruce Wayne is, is he's losing it. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Zurin are, you know, the the fake Batman or the Batman that you know, Bruce Wayne has concocted an alternative um, personality, the Batman of Zur and R, who basically takes over if Batman kills someone. And so, you know, that they he thought he had accidentally killed the penguin at the beginning of this arc. Zur and R has popped in and out. And so, you know, he, he's he's skirting the edges there and and bruce is losing it you know his family sees him retreating and they surprise him with uh with breakfast 
breakfast for dinner at his house. Um, the entire family is there, and it's a, it's a great sequence. It's a great scene, and then you know the the last shot of the book, you know, inside the mind of Bruce Wayne. I guess it's breakfast because it's six twenty a.m. In his mind, he literally sees everyone sitting around the table on fire, and so he's he's definitely losing it. Um, I you know I I. I liked the multiverse story. We talked about that, um, you know, Batman and the alternate universe. I, I, I'm curious where they're going with this story because I really don't like Zer and R. You know, I, I don't like stories that lean into that, like the Grant Morrison run. Every time he pops up, I think about that Grant Morrison run. So I'm, I'm, I'm hesitant on this book, Aaron. I'm, I'm enjoying it, but it feels like some shit's going to go awry at some point. Yeah, you know, my issue with the book is less about Zurinar and more about the secrets. You know, because that's I've, – I've gotten very weary of that storytelling in the Batman space. Yeah. Where, you know, Batman has a secret. He doesn't come clean with his family, and then it blows up in his face at some point. And, you know – I, I know that we're always an act two sort of story in comic books, but I just wish that, you know, for instance, Zurinar is a secret he kept, right? And Zurinar blows up in his face. And, you know, so now he's back and it seems like we've reset the table, but he hasn't because, you know, he's keeping some things back uh, from his family. And, of course, it's all going to blow up in his face again because that's what, what happens. I also strongly dislike the way uh, the artist here draws Batman. Um, I don't know if if this bothered you or not, Paul, but the trunks that Superman wears on the outside of his pants are very Speedo-like in a lot of respects. Oh, yeah, uh, they are. And I do not care for that. <laughs> <laughs> the Bat Speedos. They, yeah, are, I, they are definitely, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they're just the, I just need him to have a little bit more trunk <laughs> a little less junk. <laughs> yeah, I, I man, it, 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 there's the scene where he's kind of sitting there doing some meditation slash yoga. And I'm like, and we see him from the backside. I'm like, don't care for that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I yeah, I don't I don't care for that one little bit. But I do like that, you know, Bruce finds out in this issue that he didn't kill the penguin. Yes, you know, he, he thought he thought. Yeah, he finds out that he didn't kill the penguin. Penguin's still alive. And, of course, him, quote, having killed the penguin is what activated Zurinar. And so I I love that, you know, he kind of has the defense built in when Zurinar shows back up again to be able to say, hey, you know what? You activated in error. Penguin's alive right over there. You know, yeah. uh, so I dig that part. And, you know, it, it, you know, we, we get to kind of wait to see how that happens. We get to see how Zurinar responds to that. Uh, I love that Zurinar built his own secret bat cave beneath the bat cave. Yeah, there's a, the bat cave has a bat cave. Yeah, exactly. The the triple secret bat cave. Uh, I, I, you know, so there's elements of the story that I'm, I'm liking a whole lot. There are elements that I'm like, God, you know, can we tell a different story other than that? You know, Batman keeps secrets from everybody. You know, yeah, but, that would be nice. You know, I mean, yeah. some of these some of the story progressions or regressions, I would say, are frustrating in, yes. in when it comes to a Batman book. Again, he's hiding something from his family. Again, him and Selina are are on the outs kind of. And it's like, right. You know, it, I don't love that writers go to a point like Tom King. And don't get me wrong. I'm not giving Tom King any credit for his Batman run. But, it, you know, he, he kind of progressed the story with Batman and Selina and they were, you know, true you know they were getting serious and stuff like that and it was immediately undone oh yeah <laughs> when yeah. he when he was let go from the book and i'm like can we stop just taking a step back every time we take a step forward because you could have batman embrace his family embraces you know his lifestyle with selena and not lose anything of the character that's right and they just seem to you know cop and to your point yes we live in in the eternal second act with characters but I feel like those are small enough progressions that, you know, over time that that will be the status quo that people are used to without losing the core concept of the character. Yeah. Um, and that's yeah. It, so that that does bug me that every writer who comes in just kind of seems to say, OK, yes, I know they did that. Well, it's and like I know the, Wayne's feeling on Amazing Spider-Man, right? Like 
I always feel like they want to reset back to Frank Miller's Batman Year One every yeah. time a new writer comes on. I'm like, come on, that's just one version of this character, right? Yeah. Can we not live in a different space with this character? I mean, you know, Tom King told some great Batman stories. The problem is that Tom King, you know, got, in my opinion, just too involved with the, you know, art and uh, yeah, I think he was just too enamored with with the art of his storytelling versus telling, you know, quick, clean stories in the Batman space. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I feel like a lot of that stuff was like, OK, this is just all technique. <laughs> you know, this is not, you know, telling an effective, well told story. This is just, you know, you jacking off with uh, technique. Yeah. Um, but, I, you know, this always resetting, I just wish somebody somewhere at DC would say, no, <laughs> this is old school storytelling. The stuff that the guy before you is all canon. You got to you got to work in that space because, you know, there was a day and age where, you know, you didn't reboot the damn book. You didn't go to a new volume every time a new creative team came on. You just carried forward and you dealt with what came before you. And I just I think it's lazy. Is what I do, it too. Is. I do, yeah. too. But, you know, it, nothing, it, it, it's kind of like and so now, we, we, you know, this book we've been looking forward to talking about for weeks. Punisher issue 12 came out and Jason Aaron has has put a, you know, a definitive cap. If, if you were if this was the last Punisher book, it feels like a definitive capper. And it, it, uh-huh. it, 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 you know, kind of like I said, it progresses the story of the character and in this way to an actual conclusion. Right. You know, it revisits the aspect of his family, his wife. Everything about this character is tied up in, in this book. And I. I just feel like in a year's time, when that new Punisher TV series starts going into production, they're going to undo some aspect of this. Yeah. Um, I I love how self-contained this thing is. Mm-hmm. And, you know, Paul, I've, been, I, I've read all 12 issues of this series. Um, and it is it was fascinating to me. I'm not a huge Punisher fan. You know, I'm, I'm very there are just specific stories in uh, the Punisher canon that I enjoy. But I loved how he gets pulled in to, you know, work with the hand and, you know, be their their leader and, you know, become this, you know, sacred figure in their cult I loved how they played with his wife, you know, bringing her back to life, that that's the thing that, uh, you know, they, they, they're able to manipulate Frank Castle with. And, you know, Frank Castle is not a hero, right? No. He, he is not a good guy. You know, he may do some things that we like. Uh, he does a lot of things that are just terrible. And, you know, he, he is uh, he is a perpetual warrior. He is always fighting. And he is always avenging and, you know, has no problem with, you know, all the blood he's going to spill. Because if you're on the wrong side of his moral judgment, you aren't worth your life. Right. You, you, you have you have no value. Um, but I really enjoyed the storytelling here. I really enjoyed, you know, him, th- how his wife's character, the character of his wife, Maria, continues to grow in the pages of this book. In fact, there, I, I told Paul, I think around issue 10, I think Maria is going to turn out to be the big bad. I mean, I just, I right. felt for sure that, you know, something was going to be handed off and she was going to be terrible. Um, that's not how the book ended. I, I thought the book had a very satisfying ending for Maria. Um, I, I really dug how the Punisher had this kind of finite list of you know everyone he was going to you know avenge mm-hmm. before he got himself out of the hand, and you know by the time he gets to that point, it's too late. He's already lost his wife. Not you know not literally not that she's died, but that she's done. And I mean that's this huge sacrifice, uh, you know, a huge loss I should say. It's, he didn't sacrifice. That wasn't a choice he made. Uh, but he loses her. You know, mm-hmm. and it, it I, I just I thought this this story was so well paced, so well done. I didn't feel like there was any fat on the bone in this story. No. And it, it is a 12 issue run and shit happens 
every issue. So and I'm like, question, is it a run or a miniseries? So is the book still going? No, no it's it over. was a maxi series. Yeah. Okay, I will definitely be buying this in trade. You guys have really sold me on it. It is a fantastic book. And Paul, it wasn't until I recently went on my Daredevil binge that I realized this story is tied to the Daredevil story. Oh, is it? Yeah, and I'm just like, it's two halves of the same story. And I'm like, I, I had no idea. I had no idea from just reading this book that there was any kind of crossover. And it's that thing that they do in the Marvel Universe that, you know, the shit you're doing over here resounds over there. And it's very much kind of an old school Stan Lee trick. Uh, I, I, I was stunned. I was stunned to find that out. Hmm. I love this. I'm it's a, really it is a fantastic Daredevil. book. It is probably yeah. one of the best runs uh, on on Punisher that we yeah. we've got, probably since Garth Ennis yeah has been on the book. Um, yeah, Jason Aaron gets the character, and I feel like a lot of people will have issues with the character because it it truly dissects the Punisher and frankly, like puts him down. Like yeah, you know you you chose. You did this to honor your family. The real way to honor your family would have literally been taking the money that you that my family left that you know our deaths left you and and donating it so that it, you know to to the to our cause in our fund. name. Yeah. yeah, victims fund. Yeah, and I was like, damn. Yeah, it, it was it. it I, so I think a lot of people have, con- you know, people who are hardcore about the Punisher don't yeah. necessarily love that aspect of it. Well, but and I thought, I thought it was. Great. I thought I thought that the you know because there, there's flashbacks to prior to uh, uh, this current story and you know, it's funny yeah, I was bitching about this in Green Lantern but the flashbacks to early days of Frank Castle are told very effectively here and oh, yeah. you, you, they don't bother me at all and I think one of the things that I love so much about what they do is the art style that's adopted is very much that uh, Frank Miller and I'm suddenly drawing a blank on his name uh, you know from back in the day I kind of cannot remember oh his name. Um, you're talking about um, oh man the guy who did uh, Batman year one yes yeah yeah um, yeah wow I've uh, drawn he, a huge blank. But, you know, I mean, it is so effectively done. And I got to say, what I love about that that transition. David Masicelli. Sorry. Thank you. Thank you, David Masicelli. Uh, The thing I love about that transition is that that was my favorite Punisher story up till this one. Yeah. And the fact that they embraced the way that story was told visually um, you really worked here for me. I just I love this book upside down. I love I love the last scene that we get with Maria, and I'm not going to spoil any of that here, but, you know, the reveal in that last scene, you know, whereas I'm thinking like in issue 10, God, she's going to be the big bad, that horrible things are going to happen, that she is going to be the next Doctor Doom. Oh, my God. Mm-hmm. And then you see that, you know, that that reveal and you're like, huh, did not see that coming. Yeah. Uh, and then where Frank ends up at the end of the book is just balls out wild yeah and i won't spoil that either but uh i i just i really enjoyed this this thing and i am i'm so not a punisher guy uh i i really love this book i, I do too. and i am a punisher guy but i you know yeah. i i like punisher when the stories are told effectively yeah. and he's a hard nut to crack because you can lean into that stuff a little you know a little too much um but this i, I struggled with i will say the first issue first two issues i'm like okay this is just dark yeah it's just dark but it it, it stuck the you know it got progressively Absolutely. better and better and better and it stuck the landing well and, it, and it's i a love good I, ending for Punisher. and when the avengers show up i mean just everything in this book you know, daredevil shows up moon nut shows up the avengers show up you know all trying to take uh frank down he gets into a fist fight with aries <laughs> I, mean, <laughs> yeah. I just i i cannot recommend this book strongly enough there's kind okay. of a, kind of a lot in here to to recommend to everybody Agreed. Yeah. Well, we... well the, the 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 conversation yeah. we've all been waiting for. The, yes, I, we've been talking about this conversation. It's the reason we're we're recording this podcast on Monday, June nineteenth, because I wanted to I wanted to talk with Wayne because yeah. 
Void Rivals from Skybound Entertainment and Image uh, Comics came out this past week, which was, you know, it's written by Robert Kirkman, um, you know, Invincible's Robert Kirkman, um, which is already, you know, kind of like a big deal when Robert Kirkman writes a comic book. He's a busy dude with art by Lorenzo De Felici. And the book was like, you know, this is the the launch of Skybound's new um, shared universe. We got a preview copy of Void Rivals last week that had the last, I don't know, six pages of the book redacted. I'm like, that's weird. Um, But, you know, it it leaked out why those pages were redacted, and Void Rivals is basically like a backdoor entrance to Skybound has now received the license for G.I. Joe and Transformers. And so Void Rivals, despite having nothing to do with it on the cover, um, you know, we're in the first few pages of the book features a transformer. Yeah. I mean, and Airwave, IDW think, has right? had their, uh, I don't it was, uh, Jeff fire. Sorry. Jet fire. Sorry. But yeah, it's been a while now that IDW has had their license and we found out that they were losing it and they told their final story. So the transformers fandom has been wondering all this time who was going to get it. And they actually kept this information somehow from leaking until last week. So that became the big news in the Transformers front that Skybound has got the license for these. And the appearance of Jetfire in here is a few short pages. There's not really much to the appearance, but I I love the appearance anyway. Yeah, that he's just crashed, and because he's a character that in the original G one had crashed on Earth in the you know basically and been frozen for millions of years and missed out on the vast majority of the you know Autobot Decepticon War. So having him be the character that they find crashed that has been away from Cybertron millions of years and has no idea what's happened there is completely fitting. I agree. You know, it's, it's, it's definitely, it feels like a reboot, Um, you know, and and maybe this is, you know, the, the the way they're introducing the character here is, you know, indicative of, of what they're, you know, kind of launching. Um, You know, I I will say for what it's worth, the book itself is meh. (laughs) <laughs> other other than the appearance of Jetfire, I was like, okay, like it's fine, but there's nothing really special about this book. He's um, using it to launch his uh, his new series around these characters, these planets that are at war with each other, and it is very basic sci-fi. It is the enemy mind storyline. It is of two enemies crashing on the same planet, having to work together. To try to survive. There's nothing wrong with that story, but it is a very it's a story that's been explored and told so many times that unless you do something truly unique with it, it's not going to hit quite the same way. And I don't feel like anything was done truly unique with it, though I am a little bit interested in their twist. And for a spoiler standpoint, their twist is the two species that hate each other that you're not allowed to look at the face of the other aliens because of how hideous it is are the exact same species. Yeah. So I'm yeah, I don't know if, if they will continue with, you know, I, 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 with the transformers interjection of the book, or if it's just going to continue down its own you know, story of these new um, races and then the Transformers stuff will will just pick up in its own book which is in October 23 we're getting a Transformers number one from Daniel Warren Johnson um, and then after that we're getting Duke number one from Joshua Williamson and Tom Riley and then Cobra Commander number one from Joshua Williamson and Andrea Milana in January 2024 so I'm, I'm obviously 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 <laughs> on board for all of those first issues. Yep. I'm you know the fact that we're getting a Transformers relaunch an easy jump on point for me um you know I I love Transformers but sometimes you know like the IDW books they just go on 
for for such a significant amount of time, I find it hard to to hop in. Yep, if you don't jump in on, because even me, who's a big fan of them, I waited until IDW did their own reboot to yeah. jump on because it was too involved to catch it's up. Honestly, why I'm not reading Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles from IDW. I love the characters, but now they're like 175 issues in, and I'm like, it doesn't really feel like there's any good place for me to jump into this. Yeah. I'll wait for I'm, the next reboot. I'm going to give Void Rivals a second issue. I will too. Because will too. there is enough there that I am curious about where they go with. This felt like it was like they needed to add in that, you know, cameo that took up multiple pages that they could have used for further story development of these two characters. So I do wonder if maybe the second issue, now that they've done their big reveal that they're the same race, maybe we'll get to see something different in this story. Yeah, maybe it'll focus specifically on this story versus setting up the the Transformers. We'll see. You know, one of the things that, you know, with the Transformers book, I mentioned it's by Daniel Warren Johnson. And if the name doesn't ring a bell for you, Daniel Warren Johnson is the writer and artist of some fantastic books that we've talked about on the podcast. Um, he did that Wonder Woman, Dead Earth, uh, DC Black, um, Black series, uh, graphic novel series. He did the Beta Ray Bill Um Ooh comic that we really liked from marvel Mm -hmm. he's doing that jurassic league book um from dc comics so he's got a very distinct art style and um he 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 does great great machinery so i'm i'm psyched i'm I'm excited to see trans you know to, to to have a jumping on point with transformers and i'm hopeful hopeful that they'll do gi joe right very good well hey paul yes sir what's coming out next week well, next week, we got a, a decent amount coming out. The first thing I want to mention is that if you did not jump on Junkyard Joe, um, the trade paperback uh, comes out next week. Um, digitally, it's only $14.99, I think, um, you know, which is cheaper than having bought all those six issues separately. <laughs> uh, but definitely, you know, from Jeff Johns and Gary Frank, I mean, that, that book was fantastic. Highly recommended. Very good book. Um, okay, so from DC Comics, we get the second issue of Titans from Tom Taylor and Nicola Scott. And if you like your Tom Taylor, you also get Nightwing issue 105 from Tom Taylor and Bruno Redondo. Um, we also get uh, a new issue of Superman and the 800 issue of Wonder Woman, um, which features you know a, a number of Wonder Woman uh, creative teams from, from the past of the character and a peek at what's coming from the future uh, with Tom King um, taking over the book. Is this so, the launch of Super uh, Wonder Woman's daughter? Yes, this is the launch yeah. of the of Wonder Woman's daughter, and I think her name's Trinity, if I remember I correctly. Right. I think you're right. Um, from Marvel Comics, we have uh, a couple of big books. Um, well, first of all, we get the new issue of Danny Ketch Ghost Rider, which I think Wayne and I both loved the first issue. Looking forward to the second issue. Um, the second issue of Avengers, I don't think we liked the first one, so I think, yeah. I liked it. I liked the Did first you? one. Yeah. Eh. All right, we'll we'll talk. Yeah. Um, but next week we also get the new Incredible Hulk book from Philip K. Johnson and Nick Klein. You know the relaunch of you know the the yeah, the, the the new relaunch of Incredible Hulk. Yeah. So Donny Cates, yeah, the re-relaunch. So Donny Cates' <laughs> run is over. Nick Philip K. Johnson's coming in, and he's he's going to kind of lean more into the horror um, aspect of Incredible Hulk. Like uh, I think it was a Bruce Jones yes run Bruce Jones. Uh, from a few yeah. years ago. Seems like he's going to take inspiration from that. I did not care for the Bruce Jones run. Just yeah, I was I liked some of it. Yeah, yeah. But, I didn't I didn't think that overall it was a uh, a uh, milestone or iconic storyline. So yeah, just saying. But the biggest new release next week is from Marvel Comics Ultimate Invasion from Jonathan Hickman and Brian Hitch, which features yeah. the launch of the new Ultimate Universe. Can't wait! I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah, and I'm looking into it, that. this is not a repeat of the Ultimate Universe we had. It is updated for because the whole idea of the Ultimate Universe was what if the Marvel Universe was created right now when mm-hmm. it was created? They're doing that again, so I'm sure it will take a lot of inspiration from the original one, but we should not expect to see the Ultimates as they were. We should yeah. expect to see something new. I'm looking forward to it. I uh, yeah. I really like that concept. Same and that's here. my preference, honestly. I mean, the yeah. Ultimate Universe launched at this point 15 years ago, maybe. Uh-huh. Um, and, and launched the MCU. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yeah. Um, yeah. So, yeah, Paul, no. It, we're, at this point, 
it's over 20 years old. Damn, really? Because yeah. it came it came out right around the uh, like when the X Men movies were coming out. Yeah. Damn, you're right. All right, so yeah, it, it is time so to it is it, yeah 2001. So yes, it is time for for a new new Ultimate Universe. And hey, it may get me to read some Marvel books. So that's everything, Aaron. Well, hey, we want to know what you thought about this week's books. What you thought about The Flash. Uh, Don't give us a call because we don't have a hotline number anymore because Google hates us. (laughs) Instead, send us an email, ideologyofmadness at gmail.com. And we'd, uh, if we use your comment on the show, uh, you could win a coveted valuable Ideology of Madness surprise. You can also hit us up on social media, IOMGeek on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. What a deal. Well, hey, let's do this all over again next week, y'all. Absolutely. Bye. Bye. Podcast theme music graciously provided by Mark Andrew Pope. For more information, visit markandrewpope.com. Funny Books with Aaron and Polly is a production of ideologyofmadness.com. No Spider-Man clones were harmed in the production of this podcast. Mm-hmm.